This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesQuid, the app that helps salespeople discover why they miss quota and what to do about it. Find out more at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. One of the things that we want to talk about that we haven't talked too much about, Lee, is personal branding and what that means in terms of management, you know, like am I popular or am I regarded well within my organization? All of that stuff today is the topic. What do you think? Well, I mean, I have my own view of personal branding. My my view is personal branding is how you want to be thought of, but your credibility is how you actually are thought of. And so uh, personal branding is absolutely important. Uh, but there, there's some, some uh, you know, things you have to navigate w- with that. And I, mean, I want to ask about that. I want to ask about, uh, you know, as a manager, particularly a, a lot of the people that listen to our show, uh, you know, they have to manage down. They have to communicate down. They also have to communicate up. And and those mm-hmm. are two different roles with two different responsibilities and objectives. And, uh, you know, I hope we get some good advice today on, on exactly how to do that. Did you see what I did there, Audrey? Was that yes. good? Yes. I was just saying, well, <laughs> and, uh, and what do people say about you when you're not around is kind of how I measure it. So welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I am Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith. I am the founder of SalesFuel. Okay, so our special guest today, Elizabeth Rosenberg, live from Los Angeles, a personal branding expert, strategic communications consultant, intuitive, and founder of The Good Advice Company. I love the name of your company, Elizabeth. Thank you. I would love to say that I named it myself. I did not. Oh, no. I actually named it. So in all honesty, (laughs) stay friends with those old bosses. There you go. (laughs) Okay. And it's a marketing and communications consultancy, everyone. She's got more than two decades of experience working with some of the most innovative brands and leaders in the world. And she taps her knowledge, intuition, and truths to uncover and amplify purpose and ownable narratives. And Elizabeth, when when Lee and I were doing our show prep this morning, and welcome, by the way, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we we were particularly intrigued with your media kit and you're saying that um, leaders and managers personal branding, the desire and wanting to be famous, well-known or popular versus what Lee said, wanting to make a credible impact. Let's start there. There's a big difference between the two. Mm -hmm. One Mm -hmm. is very ego-driven and one is very impact-driven. So when I do work with clients um, as a personal branding expert, I work with C-suite leaders, consultants, founders, um, a lot of startup founders to kind of help them uncover their their founder story. I really want to work with people who are interested in making an impact in the world versus those who are wanting to be famous. The funny thing is when you make an impact in the world, you normally somehow become famous. Yeah. Kind of like Elon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, he blends the two. He oscillates back and forth, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, there's, there's, it seems to me like with the younger generations, like, you know, how many likes do I have? How many followers do I have? What's my audience and everything like that? Uh, you know, I kind of like to focus on the, the quality of the message rather than the quantity of the followers. But as you mentioned, it's like if you have a quality of message, then you get the followers. It's just a matter of what do you focus on first and what's your motivation and what's your driver. And that really determines, I think, your ultimate success. Is, is that why I hear you saying? It is. But it also gets hard because with social media now, even LinkedIn, you don't know if those followers are authentic. You don't know if they were bought for, if they're, mm -hmm. you know, like you don't know where where the um, interest and the impact is actually really coming from. So I do think a lot of it is internal. You can see people who are quite successful on Twitter. You can see people who are quite successful on LinkedIn, whether that is authentically successful. I, only that person is really going to know. And it really comes down to also the message that you are sharing. So I think that is actually what my strength and my superpower is and the best advice that I have for people who are looking to build their own personal brand is to do it in a way that honestly feels uncomfortable because those are the stories that are actually making an impact in the world. I tell everybody, all of my leaders come to me and say, I want to talk about business and leadership and equity and creativity and diversity. And I tell them, no one cares what they have to say about any of those things. Everyone has already talked about all of those things. So unless you're bringing something very new to the table or something very kind of like out there and outlandish, no one is actually going to care what you have to say about those things. So you need to uncover what your story is. Are you a leader who leads differently because you have a child that's on the spectrum and the way that you parent is then affected by the way that you lead? Um, are you a sober leader? Are you a leader like myself who has experienced severe corporate burnout, who has now had to completely change their trajectory of their career in order to find some kind of health and wellness balance? Then you weave that into what you're actually doing in work. And your narrative is something that is going to impact and it is going to change the younger generations for them to see that an authentic story is actually something that is going to move the needle. And we all have our own stories. And I, I, I want to go back to uh, your mention of the term sober leader. So it's like we have a lot of salespeople, a lot of advertising and marketing people in our audience. So let's clarify what, what you mean by sober leader. <laughs> yeah. I was fortunate enough to work with the president of um, a creative agency, a very large creative agency. And we uncovered and the truth that she has been sober for several years and is a sober leader and leads her agency very differently than the kind of the Mad Men days of advertising. I mean, I was in advertising for decades. So it mm -hmm. is a very fun industry, but it is also an industry like most creative agencies are and most creative industries are that are kind of like the social culture is based in alcohol and now in all honesty in cannabis as well in, in mm -hmm. many states. Mm -hmm. And when you have a leader who is sober, the culture building is different. It feels different, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, especially when we're remote. I mean, we know during Zoom, we all had so many kind of ha like Zoom happy hours during the pandemic. What do you do if you are in a sober situation? You are living differently. And if you're in recovery, that culture is so different for you. So having different options of things that to do kind of as a team building is, is a game changer. What about when you're in an environment that's not sober? How do you how do you uh, communicate and manage differently in that type of a situation? 
It's it, there's no answer really. I think for that, except for the fact that you have to know the type of company that you're in and the type of people that you're working with. So, and everybody individually needs to speak up to their own needs when it comes to the culture and the kind of business that they want to be in. The differentiator formula that you talked about, I assume you're talking about an external personal brand that I'm going out, but what about my internal personal brand within my company? Some people might say, Hey, well, I just am in this job and I just work here. I don't need to have a personal brand, but does that also hold true? And you should do that within your company. So you're known uniquely for something within your organization. How does it work internally? Everyone, especially I think after the pandemic, we are all on our own personal development journeys, whatever that might look like for you. The one constant that I have for everyone, whether it's an internal brand or an external brand, is that when you die, do you want to be known for what you did or who you are? And I think about that all the time. And I that was really the driving force of um, pivoting my business from strictly consulting for creative and marketing agencies in PR and marketing to working with leaders on their own personal branding. It's, it's very American for us to get mm-hmm. on a Zoom and for us to say, what do you do? And it's the very first thing that is like your, your validator, your qualifier. Are you allowed to be in this conversation? Do you have the credentials for me to find you important? If you are other places in the world, any, really anywhere else, people ask you different things. Are you married? Are you, you know, what brings you joy? Like, what do you do for fun? Like the conversation openers are different. Um, And I think about that all the time, especially during the pandemic as people were dying, obituaries were reading like resumes because LinkedIn is a place where you can find all of your personal information free and easy and quickly. And I'm like, oh my God, if I die tomorrow and it says that I worked at all these companies, but it says nothing about the type of person that I am, and the type of people that I was around and, you know, I was a compassionate and then I was thoughtful and empathetic and all of the things that I actually want to be known for. Like I will come back and haunt everyone. Like that cannot be my legacy. So the takeaway today is your LinkedIn profile is your obituary. (laughs) I mean, you should, and your social media, you should really think about that because we all have a digital footprint now and what that digital footprint looks like is readily available and public to everyone. I had a, and- was on a job interview once, not, not for this job, Lee, when Lee, <laughs> <laughs> but the guy had a different way of going at it, Elizabeth, just like you said, he didn't ask, he knew he flew me in. So he knew the, what do you do part mm-hmm. like clearer, but he literally asked me, this is like out of a movie. Who are you? Why are you here? We were in that. That's considerably harder to answer. Way harder to answer. Yeah. And and the other thing I think that everybody realized too, as we're trying to manage people via Zoom, which is very hard. No one goes to like team management school. Like Mm -hmm. there's businesses that will give you, I think, workshops on how to manage people properly. But the other thing is everyone needs to be managed differently. Mm -hmm. So when I was managing people, I had um, my team do kind of like the, the work appreciation test or like the love language test. So I would know exactly how you needed to be appreciated. There were people on my team who needed like a call out in an email, words of affirmation. There were people who needed a walk once a week for quality time. So I really think it's important to also recognize that people don't stay in jobs like they used to. 
whether they burn out, whether they have a change of heart, whether they don't like what they're doing, anything like that. And you have to be realistic that you need to get the most out of your person while they're in that job and know that they're not going to be there for 20 years and that's okay, but manage them the best they can. So I always ask my team, I did two sessions a year. I did their beginning of the year kind of check-in. And then I did a six month like yearly review. And I always ask them, if you could do five things this year, what would they be? And then like, what is your dream goal? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And we would aim for that. And I would say like, even if it's not here, what, do you, what are the skills that I can teach you here where you're here that you can then learn somewhere else? And by the way, when you do that, your people stay longer because they feel invested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the golden rule. It's not managing people the way that you want to be managed. It's 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 communicating with them the way that they want to be communicated with, and managing them the way that they want to be managed as well. So it's like, again, you have to balance those two things out. And you're absolutely right. Everybody gets managed differently, just like everyone gets parented differently. You know, it's like when we had to, our, our first child was like, "Hey, great, we learned how to parent and everything like that." And it's like I so said, we figured it out. Then we had the second kid, who's totally different than the first kid, <laughs> and we realized that it's like none of the stuff that we learned the first time around—I won't say none of it, but most of it didn't apply. So exactly. So you help people find their purpose. I was intrigued by that I as do. well because it's kind of like, how do you? What's that exercise look like? Give us some case studies. So this is where I'm sure your audience is going to be like, oh, okay, this is is fascinating. I uncovered after my severe burnout um, situation, which is, you can find on my LinkedIn. um, I went through a very intense health and wellness journey and uncovered that I have a very strong intuition. I started studying, I started learning. And especially in the last few years, um, tapped into something called the Akashic records, which is almost like having an, it's like having an intuitive reading. It's the idea Mm. that the Akashic records are a library of the soul's journey. So I have really kind of married these two worlds of the spiritual intuitive world and 25 years of marketing and comms. So the very first session in all of my personal branding kind of like workshops is an intuitive reading. Um, I used to think like, oh, I could do it without it. I can't, I I can actually go into the session. I never know what's going to come out of the reading. It can be loved ones that have come through who have passed, who have messages for you. It can be messages about jobs, messages about your family, but I do steer the conversation to untap. What is your soul's purpose? What is your life purpose? And the wild thing is that every time I do a reading, your soul's purpose and your life purpose, you're already doing. You just need a reminder that you're doing that. And then I kind of take the comms part and I weave it all together with Mm. behavioral analytics and a really deep story mining session to help you actualize what that purpose, what your job and what your personal life all kind of look like when they come together in this beautiful cacophony of, of a narrative. So it's sort of like a Venn diagram with three circles kind and of. the area where those, they intersect. Wow. That's where you focus. Yeah, perhaps. that's where I focus. So, I mean, I've had personal brands focus on everything from, as I said, like the, the, the sober um, leadership. I've had myself focused on burnout. I mean, if you had told me three years ago that I would be doing intuitive readings for executives and the poster child for burnout, I would have told you you were insane. I would have thought I would have been a chief communications officer at a main, you know, at a big Mm -hmm. brand doing what the trajectory of my career was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So 
you kind of have to be open to whatever, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Whatever that path looks like, it um, it's you have to be present and able to follow along versus future forecasting. I think that's the one thing that we as a society do very badly is we mm-hmm. try to future forecast everything. And if the pandemic has told us anything, exactly. like that is no longer an option. Like stay mm-hmm. present. Yeah, so I have two sideways. With the I got two questions exactly. back, to, back to back. So yeah. uh, what's your number one piece of advice for communicating to the C-suite, assuming you're not in the C-suite? But even if you're in the C-suite, you've got shareholders and everything like that, that you, yep. and a board of directors you have. So communicating to those above you, what, what's your number one piece of advice? Transparency. And I would say that's a two-way road. Um, most... PR problems and crisis comms comes from people hiding information. Now, as a PR person, I'm well aware that there are things that C-suite cannot tell (laughs) the people that they are managing. Um, But the the earlier you can get in front of things with more information, the smoother communication always is. So a follow-up to that question, would you say then is to be transparent with them, even if they're not being transparent with you, perhaps? Or should you view that as uh, it's a trust issue at that point where and you kind of feel like maybe you need to be more guarded because they are? It's not even a trust issue. It's there are things you don't need to know. And it's you need to be okay when you are <clears throat> of management level and Nazi level of not knowing that information. There you go. I think there's this like FOMO <clears throat> of, oh, my God, like they're talking about this and we need to know everything. And why isn't this happening? That information oftentimes is kept from you for a reason. It's to kept like to keep the train moving. And I wish that somebody had kind of taught that to me earlier in my career to focus on the things that I need to be focusing on, not on the drama of not knowing all of the stuff that's happening up in the C-suite, because honestly, like that's the not fun stuff anyway. <laughs> Most C-suite, are, you know, will tell you like that's the that's the hard part. So my second question. Part. Is your number one piece of advice to communicating to those underneath you? Be as it's the same thing. Be as transparent as you possibly and legally can. Um, I've talked a lot about the layoffs in the last you know year or so, yeah. and the lack of transparency and the honestly like really poor internal and external comms that have happened around them, and it it like makes my blood boil because in all honesty, if there was more transparency as to why the layoffs were happening and to add a little humanity into the fact that like, this is something we're all experiencing. I think the, the, the blowback would have been a lot, a lot less, but I, it, it's, it's one of those things that's really frustrated me over the last year. No. Don't fire people by tweet. <laughs> Don't fire people or, by tweet. They learn they are the job when their access is cut off. They log in like it's a normal day and no. I mean, nope. but the, yeah, the thing that they've been doing or most companies have been doing is saying that everything is looking like a restructure when that's not the truth. The, the, the truth is, I think there's a lot of power wanting to be taken back by the employers. Um, employees had way too much power in 21 and 20, early 2022. And I think there needs to be a little bit of a shift of, of the pendulum needs to switch back. But there has to be a happy medium there's no, we haven't figured out how to work remotely, work in the office. We haven't, we haven't figured that all out yet. 
One of my um, first mentors actually taught me, he had a saying, is like, when the pendulum swings, it swings all the way. So it doesn't like stop yeah. in the middle, it goes all the way, and then it has to swing oh, all the yeah. way back the other way. And we're yeah. seeing that live. We, we are definitely seeing that. So if you are a leader who is going through a, um, through a layoff, lean on your PR people to do the most, and your HR people who, with compliance to do the most kind of like humane thing possible, I think is the best advice there. That's good advice. And it's called the Good Advice Company. Good Advice Co. for Twitter. Got about a minute left, Elizabeth. Um, how do you want people to engage with you? I, I The best way to reach me is um, via my website, which is www.thegoodadvicecompany.com and LinkedIn. I um, just look up Elizabeth Rosenberg, The Good Advice Company. That sounds good. This has been very interesting. We haven't done this topic before, so I'm so glad you could join us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>